And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic. Saka with a cross, and Trossard has equalised! And from being on the floor, and 2-0 down, Arsenal have picked themselves up spectacularly! The only way to score is, of course, to play uh, with a handbrake off. Hello, I'm Ian Stone. This is Handbrake Off, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Saturday night saw the Arsenal come from two goals behind to rescue a point at Stamford Bridge, with Declan Rice proving his worth yet again. To talk about the comeback, I'm joined by Adrian Clark and Amy Lawrence. Morning. Good morning. Hello. <laughs> I said it was going to be hard, didn't I, Adrian? I said, I said to you on Wednesday or Thursday or whatever it was, that it was going to be difficult. You didn't say it to me because I was on holiday. <laughs> well, oh, yeah, that's true. Well, anyway, I, I'm claiming that I did. You didn't say it to me either. What are you talking about? No. I, well, anyway, I said that it was going to be a difficult game, right? And we'll talk about that, all right? We'll talk about that. Before we do, though, Ben White, well, he had a new haircut, didn't he? Uh, but we were wondering what terrible haircuts you might have had. Adrian, I mean, I think the first thing to say, as the two males on this panel... I'm just glad to still have it, aren't you, really? <laughs> I mean, I don't care how I cut it at this point, but yeah. it's just nice just to have some. It is, yeah, yeah, I guess this is true. You must have had some terrible haircuts, though. I've had loads. I mean, I've had big curly, curly bouffant haircuts. I've had... <laughs> You've had a perm? Have you had a perm? No, no, no. My hair, weirdly, used to go. Used to be curly. I used to grow it quite long, and it used to go very, very curly. So when I played for Arsenal at various times, it was curly. At South End, it was a mop. Tony Woodcock style. <laughs> Later in life, uh, in, when I was coming towards the end of my career, I went for the blonde tints. Um, it was actually a former Arsenal player, David Court, who used to be the assistant to Liam Brady with the academy. I'm, I'm good friends with his daughter, Julia. And she, she used to do my tints, which was most embarrassing. So, yeah, I had that had li- that little phase. Yeah, I've, I've had every haircut going. I'm, I'm not ashamed of it, yeah. I've got, uh, Amy, I can't... This could be like an hour, couldn't it, this answer? <laughs> uh, hair issues. Yeah, no, I'll keep it nice and simple. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll just pick, pick pretty much any shade between orange and purple. Sort of anything with a kind of, uh, uh, you know, with a relationship to red. Uh, and I've been there. I did shave the sides once, which was did you? not my favourite in hindsight. So that when I put it in a ponytail, you could see. I don't know why, but um... <laughs> when you when you went for the red, by the way, yeah. were you going for an Arsenal sort of tint, or were you just? I just like you know... red, like for you know some fairly obvious reasons. So I just <laughs> have to play around with the different different relatives of red. Otherwise, it gets boring. Yeah. But I did, the other thing is that that's hair related is that when I uh, go to sort of more tropical climes ever on holiday, my hair goes completely wild, and I have earned, earned the nick, nickname Janice Joplin <laughs> for my hair on those occasions. So yeah. yeah, that's the other the other other bit I like. 
Uh, by the way, I like Ben White's hair, so I'm not having it as a terrible hair, haircut at all. I think he looks great. It's no Maroran Shemak, is it? No. <laughs> <it's not that. laughs> no. Good God. Yeah, I've done similar to Adrian. I had highlights as well. I didn't realise how painful it was when they put the cap on and they pull each individual hair through to light, to, to colour it. That's showing your age there. They don't do that anymore. Do they not do that anymore? Is it all like... It's all digital now, is it? All right, fair enough. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Ben, if you're listening, you have hair whatever you want, mate. You do. I can't imagine he is. He doesn't like football, does he? (laughs) Anyway. um, (laughs) Anyway, uh, he's still lovely watching him play. And Chelsea 2, Arsenal 2. Raya, Zinchenko, Gabriel Saliba, White, Rice, Jorginho and Odegaard, Martinelli, Jesus, Saka. Front line, the first time we've had uh, what we consider to be our first choice front line. First half, though, Amy. I mean, Declan Rice said in the post-match press conference, I think the first half is probably the worst we've played all season. I think we can confirm that from our eyes, can't we? Yeah, I think if we look through probably anybody's um, WhatsApp message box or whatever groups, you'll see a lot of descriptions that are a bit... (laughs) less favourable than that. I felt like we absolutely stank the place out, I thought, to begin with. And what must be unbelievably maddening for particularly a manager, but even for the players themselves, is that I guess that you go out there every time, you know, more or less, thinking you're going to hit a baseline of a, of, a, of a fairly decent standard every game. We're ready, yeah. And for whatever reason, and I, I wouldn't, pretend to understand what these are but you know if you compare it to the Man City game where you would say that every player from front to back was probably putting in at least an 8 out of 10 more or less to to get that result it felt like you're struggling to find players who hit a 5 out of 10 in that first half which is is a very strange thing to happen sort of across the board really I think there was only probably two or three that were Declan Rice and you know Martinelli, uh, who who were kind of anywhere near the standard really for a game of that stature, and I just don't think you go to away games at any op- opponent in the Premier League and think you can get away with quite a lot of your team being very very below par. It was it was difficult to explain, and I'm sure it was not the plan. And once it's going wrong, and you acknowledge that. The next thing is react. Obviously, Arsenal did react, which was great, but it took quite a long time to react. And you wonder whether the reaction could have come sooner somehow. Adrian, my youngest, he plays five-a-side. He says to me, he knows basically straight away. His first pass goes a little bit awry. And after that, he's almost working against his body, right? He's almost, it's just not quite happening. You're nodding away there. Did you feel that as well? And do you think that quite a lot of the players had that moment and thought, oh yeah, it's not quite happening? Yeah, I think the first couple of passes are always really important. The first few touches, it sets the tone for how you're going to play that day. It doesn't always follow on that you're going to have a great game if the first few touches are good or vice versa. But often it's the case. It's certainly good for your confidence if you start properly. And no no one started Mm. properly from an Arsenal point of view. I would say that, that Chelsea forced it because they were very, very hostile and very aggressive. I think in periods this season where we haven't been great, it's because opponents have been really physical with us and knocked us out of our stride and that was definitely what happened here we didn't win our duels we didn't win our tackles we were flustered every time someone closed us down 
I would say that that Chelsea were overtime to really shrink the size of the pitch when we had the ball. Yeah, it, it, it was a challenging first half. Amy, I've seen a lot of stuff on social media. I don't take it too seriously and we'll get to some of the other stuff in a bit. But this thing about Mikel Arteta being a little outcoached by Mauricio Pochettino, do you think there's anything in that? I mean, we talked about Mikel Arteta so much and how what an amazing talent he is, but he is only two or three years in and you've got to figure that coaches improve just like players. Do you think he just got a bit out of thought in that first half? I don't know. I think um, possibly, but I often go back to uh, something a great football player once told me many, 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 many years ago in a bar in Dublin after an Ireland game. Johnny Giles, look him up, guys, if you've not heard of him. Now, I remember in my callow youth asking him some sort of vaguely tactical question about what we'd just seen from the international match that I'd just been watching. And he just looked at me and went, it's all about players. It's all about players. Like you can, you know, obsess over tactics and strategies as much as you want. And I do think that we are, we live in an era where tactics and strategies and are, are so overly analysed and so promoted in the discourse that sometimes you, you do lose track of the fact that those are just aids to the way that a game is played and that essentially if you've got good players playing well, I mean, it might sound a bit simplistic, but I do think it makes a difference and going back to yeah. what you both are saying, yeah. if you don't feel good in yourself after the first couple of passes, if things are going awry and you haven't got your, your you know, you haven't started well and you start to, you know, things are not clicking, that that can be quite a big factor because yeah. you know you look at the lineup you read the lineup out as you just did and I think that's probably more or less the lineup that everyone picks except perhaps Partey coming in for Jorginho yeah. from the start yeah. so it was kind of disconcerting to have this very passive error strewn start it you was. know if Sinchenko gives the ball away in his own box after a handful of minutes is that down to tactics no, I, I, um, I mean, you know, I, I don't agree. Know. I'm just asking, I'm just asking no, the I question. Think, I, think it, I think it's all part of it, but I just think that we have to not lose sight of the fact that it's a part rather than the be-all and end-all of, of, man, of, of a manager's job. How smart they are and how they react to things and how they prepare for things. And, you know, obviously Pochettino was clever with his lineup in that it was not, not quite as anticipated. But like I said before, you've got to react. You've got to sort that out quickly on the pitch. Yeah, no, it's always twofold. It always is. Chelsea were hungry in that first half. They worked harder than us. They were more physical. They knocked us around. That that Mm. sometimes happens. Uh, And you've got to adjust and um, tough it out. And and I think we did do that. From a tactical point of view, the reasons people might have said Poch nailed it is because he went with this sort of really unusual strikerless formation sort of with two false nines and I think what that did it caused a little bit of confusion between Saliba, Gabriel, Declan Rice and Jorginho they weren't quite sure who was picking up who because sometimes they were dropping into midfield where they were near our midfielders and sometimes one or both were were up near the centre halves and I just think it took some adapting to what we did tactically is we pushed up the pitch and Gabriel and Saliba went a bit higher in the second half. We were stronger 
and we basically pushed them back so that those two false nines didn't have any space to play in, in they that were second all squeezed half. In. It was all yeah, squeezed yeah, yeah. in. All right, well, listen, we will talk about the second half. I want to talk about the penalty first. I was looking at William Saliba a couple of times. He did look a bit flustered, like everyone did, with the way Chelsea were playing. Um, I mean, I don't know, Adrian. <laughs> we understand. We both. We all understand. Football's changed, but is that a penalty really? No, no, no it's not a penalty. I, I would. I would say the same. I'd say we were very lucky if we got that. It might be a penalty in the current laws. I really don't know. I don't know. <laughs> they keep changing so much, and there's so many grey areas that I, I really don't know if that is letter of the law a penalty. All I know is that when you jump for a header, as Saliba did, your arms go up. You need to jump. You, you don't jump with your hands well, behind out. your back. They go out. Of course they do. They, to be fair, just look, to give you some leverage. Look at everyone jumping. Mudrick's arms are out. It's just what happens. So it is the most natural position William Saliba could have had at that point. And, and the header comes at him from less than a yard. So for me, it's really unlucky. The, the fact that the header is going wide, I think, should be part... Of, of the laws moving forwards. I agree with if, you. You know, we've got enough cameras in the grounds now. You know, if, if a head is going wide and it hits you, especially in a circumstance like that, it should absolutely not be a penalty. If it's going on target, then you've got a question to, to answer. I still wouldn't wouldn't like to see penalties given for that because it's, like I said, it's, it's totally accidental. While we're talking penalties, though, should we have had a penalty? I mean, they keep a wiped out Gabriel Jesus. And, and I just thought, how is that not a penalty? I didn't <laughs> understand, Amy. I, what I didn't understand is why there appeared to be no mention of it whatsoever. I don't know if behind the scenes they were looking at it, but certainly it went absolutely unremarked yeah. on, the, you know, on the live broadcast. Mm. And it, it, that felt... Fairly inexplicable. And again, just another brick to add to the ginormous great wall of inconsistency that we have. Yeah. Yeah. Poor, poor old Gabriel Jesus was was in the wars, wasn't he? Because he yeah. got he got really taken out, didn't he? Um by Cole Palmer. Palmer. Yeah, yeah. That was a nasty one. And then of course he he gets almost concussed by by the goalie. Yeah, I mean it yeah, I think it probably should be. I mean, if a centre half does that to a to a striker, it's a free kick every day of the week, isn't it? Goalies get latitude for that sort of stuff, don't yeah, they? Yeah, you only it's... need to sneeze at a goalie and they go down and get a free kick these days. It's uh, they're the most overprotected species. They should be on the world wildlife fund protection <laughs> list or something. I don't know. Maybe they are. Here at Stamford Bridge, the young goalkeeper comes off his line. Yeah, uh, Mudrick scored. Of course he scored. I mean, it was just, I mean, if I wasn't betting against Arsenal, I'd have put money on that one. None of us think he meant it, do we? I mean, I, I don't think he did. And I think that that leads on to the chat about David Raya and Aaron Ramsdale. We've had some correspondence by the way, right, which I just want to read out before we get into the whole discussion. This is from Jack in South East London. Hello, Jack. Here is a question for the team on the pod about David Raya. He's good with crosses. He's a good distributor of the ball. He's calm under pressure. These have been described as some of David Raya's best qualities, and yet these parts of his game have led to some very big errors in recent weeks and arguably some drop points too. Been out of position for Mudrick's cross, which led to the goal, a wayward pass for the first goal against Lons, and getting caught in possession by Alvarez against City, which probably should have been punished. Have the mistakes we've seen from Raya undermine the reasons why he's been selected ahead of Ramsdale? And do you think Arsenal have been a better team with him in goal? Thanks, Jack. 
for that. I mean, I guess you guys have got your opinions. I'd just say that I sort of think that if we're saying that Mudrik didn't mean it, you can't really blame him for being out of position. And the other two is what Mikel Arteta has been asking him to do. Amy, I'll come to you first. What do you think? Oh, dramatic pause. Um, <laughs> I thought you'd lost your line for a second there, to be honest with you. This is so awkward. It just feels... You know when you've got two mates and they, you know, were going out with each other and then they're not and you're sort of a bit stuck in the middle and you don't really know what to say or how to deal with everybody because you feel a bit caught up in just what is an all-round awkward situation... There's no denying that this is an awkward situation and it's made all the more awkward by the fact that in most people's eyes, Aaron Ramsdale didn't do an awful lot wrong to get replaced or that level of competition coming or whatever. But equally, Raya, possibly, he might agree, I don't know, I'd love to know what he thinks, doesn't look like he's had the the most secure start to his time at Arsenal. I think if he'd have come in and been super confident, uh, error-free, very calm, all that stuff that was expected, more dominant on 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 crosses, which I think, you know, he's generally been quite good in that department. But it maybe changes the, the, the flow of the discourse a little bit. But we're in a situation where everything is getting um, put under a very, very intense spotlight. And I, sus- I suspect it puts pressure on the both of them. Because if if Ramsdale comes back in, you know, you're under pressure anyway as a goalkeeper, let's be honest, playing in big matches. But it's even more enhanced when you've got this extra sort of like noise around everything that you do. And I guess the fundamental problem is, A, Mikel Arteta did talk initially about it being a kind of almost a shared situation and swapping goalies if necessary and so on and so forth and pushing each other. Not that anyone other. believed him. Well, maybe really. not, but that was his uh, his line on it. Yes. So if somebody comes in and is outstanding, then it puts a different complexion in on things. But if not, then you can go back to that and say, well, how about it? So it doesn't look like it's going away in a hurry, but it doesn't feel like Arsenal are particularly more secure at the moment with Raya. And are maybe missing a little bit of Ramsdale's personality as well. Because there's no doubt that the personality that he brings to his style of goalkeeping has been a major asset as well. Not just for him, but for the players in front of him who I think trust him and like him and like that boldness and uh, audacity that he plays with. So there's a lot of people getting used to a lot of different stuff here, but... It's clear that it's not been a walk in the park for Raya walking into this team. So we've got to give it a bit a bit more time to see how it plays out. But I think you have to hope that it plays out in a positive way and an even way. Adrian, there is, as Amy said, there's a lot of noise. But on the basic point that Jack emailed in, and by the way, if you want to get in touch, our email is handbrake at theathletic.com. And thank you for emailing in. Jack made a basic point about three particular errors, as he calls them. Like I say, I'm not sure 
any of them. I mean, I mean, the, the manager wants him to pass out and wants him to draw the forwards in as close as possible. And there are going to be times when uh, they get a bit too close, or when there's a wayward pass like the one against Lons. By the way, that was still a worldy goal he scored. I mean, mm. I mean, it was it, it was still quite a lot to happen before uh, he scored that goal. So uh, you could make a case for not blaming David Raya for any of them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, yeah, it was a wayward clearance against Lons, but yeah, it was an unbelievable goal, wasn't it, to beat? him both were against Lons against Chelsea it's a lucky penalty and it's a mishit cross so it's not like he's cost us goals with, with goalkeeping bloopers is it I, I don't know I think could have done t- though there was another one wasn't there against Chelsea where Cole he, Palmer, he yeah. gave it straight yeah. away but, and, well what was know. the reaction the reaction was excellent the way mm. that he reacted to it he didn't panic and he he, he, he did he, he quickly got across to, to make sure that Cole Palmer couldn't couldn't put the ball into the empty net. Same as that 1v1 with Nicholas Jackson. He didn't um, commit himself. He waited, he waited, and he pounced on it. So so he wasn't all bad. And, and to be honest, I, I wouldn't blame him for that goal. It's a, it's a total fluke. His, his, his positioning from crosses is aggressive. He was he was across his near post and people will look at that and say, oh, you should be closer to the middle of your goal. And maybe I'd be among the people that said that, but I'm not a goalkeeping expert. I think that his aggressive positioning helps him cut out a lot of crosses because he narrows the angle. I just think sometimes players become better when they're not playing. Your mind plays tricks on you and you forget moments where Aaron Ramsdale got flustered of which there are lots, you know. My honest opinion is that I just don't think there's much in it between either mm. of them. I, I genuinely don't. I think that... The that, stats say otherwise, though, don't that, they? Yeah, I did a piece uh, on it for the Premier League just before I went away. And, and the stats show that Raya is way ahead in yeah. in almost every department. So you can't ignore those. Yeah, I, I just... I, I don't think there's... If you cut out all the noise... I don't think there's any drama about the goalkeeping position. I think we've got two really good goalies. The one cloud hanging over Raya is can he mentally handle the pressure of being Arsenal's number one? Because he has looked nervous at times and it is a totally different type of expectation when you're between the sticks at Arsenal and at Brentford. It's on the next level and we know that Ramsdale can handle that. He almost thrives on that. Raya at the moment just looks a little bit edgy. But what I will say is that that when he has made a few mistakes or looked nervous, like against City, as he did in, in the game against Chelsea, he's quickly recovered. He recovered to make good contributions against Chelsea. He recovered to have a much better second half against Manchester City. So there's something about him, you know, mentally, he's got toughness, but there's a little doubt there at the moment. Can he, hand, yeah. can he handle that pressure? And, and that goes for any player that represents Arsenal. It is a hugely different proposition than if you played for a smaller club previously. Tell you what, what we'll do, uh, we'll take a short break and afterwards uh, we will talk about the positives for, from this game, of which there were a, a couple. Um, this is Handbreak Off, the Arsenal podcast, brought to you by The Athletic. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. We were a bit uh, with the handbrake at time. Ian Stone, Amy Lawrence, and Adrian Clark here on the Athletics Arsenal podcast. Handbrake off. Great finish from Declan Rice. Magnificent finish. I mean, he made it look easy, Amy, but he was about, what, 30 yards out, 35 yards out, whatever it was, and he just buried it. And uh, suddenly we're back in the game. God, it was. Brilliant. What an absolutely beautiful strike. I, I abs- It totally took my breath away. I'd like to ask Adrian, because I'm in no position to comment, but I was imagining or wondering how many professional footballers can do that in that moment from that distance and be as accurate and as clever with their finish. And I was kind of assuming that about nine out of ten probably can't produce that. That might be a completely mad... Thing, but what, what, what would you say? Um, well, it was an empty goal. It's the pressure, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it, it's making that choice, isn't it? Making that cold choice in the heat but of the moment. But he still had to get. He also still had to get it in the right bit of space, bending in the right kind of direction to make sure it avoided hitting anyone on the way on the way through. Yeah. Oh, it was a brilliant effort. It, it took my breath away as well. But but technically speaking, I think a lot of footballers, if you did it in training. Could do it, no, no problem. But would they do it away to Chelsea in the pouring rain? And 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 maybe the the crucial point is, would they have intercepted the ball in the first place? Yeah. Because you know Conor Gallagher's on his heels, yes, but Declan Rice anticipates that Again. pass into him so so, so well. He is yeah. bloody brilliant, isn't he? He's got. 
this awareness of where he is on the pitch. And I, I've watched a few of the, the ones against Man City and some others this season. And he just moves a millisecond before everyone else to, to anticipate the space. I mean, Adrian, he's got a great awareness, oh, hasn't he? Oh, magnificent football brain. Yeah, real great awareness of of what the opposition are going to do. He anticipates better than any Arsenal midfielder I've seen in a long, long time, I think. Um, it's what, what separates him, I think, from a lot of players. So, yeah, he, he was magnificent in the second half, I have to say. I, when I watched it back, it was it, he really stood out as someone that was taking big responsibility. Give me the ball. Mm-hmm. I'm going to make something happen. I'm going to pull out to the left and I'm going to link something. I'm going to whip it quickly to Martinelli. I'm going to I'm going to switch the play to Saka. He he took the game by the scruff of its neck and um one stat that really caught my eye when I was sort of analyzing the game was was over where he won the ball. Okay, he won the ball 10 times in the match and eight times out of those 10 he won it in Chelsea's half. That's him. He steps in. He's there because he senses when a team are maybe uh, a little bit wobbly in possession when they might just give something away. He's there to break it up. And I think that that's, that's makes such a difference to us. We're so lucky to have him. 36.6 yards, I've been told, for those of you on the continent. <laughs> <laughs> that's about 34 metres, I believe. But anyway, um, yeah. and then it was two all. Uh, six or seven minutes later, uh, Leandro Trossard. I was reading um, Arse Blog's blog, which I always read. And he was talking about Bukayo Saka and about if there's a reason people sometimes question, oh, you know, he's not playing well, he's limping about a little bit. Why is he on the pitch? And Arsenal said that's the reason he's on the pitch for, for, for getting a tough game against Cucurello, who was kicking him for a lot of the game, finally got booked so late on. It's ridiculous. But anyway, he was having a tough game and yet he stepped up, comes inside and curls an absolutely fantastic cross. That's why he's on the pitch, Amy. Yeah, he'd had a quiet game and, I mean, Cucurella is, like, definitely up there and one of the players you, you most wouldn't want to play against or even be in the same sort of hemisphere as what a beastly, horrible to play against. He's seriously annoying. But, um, yeah, it, it, it was a difficult game for Bukayo and I think that was kind of one of the things that was frustrating is, you know, you, you've got that, that front three up there and... It just wasn't happening. They weren't gelling. They weren't getting space. They weren't able to connect and build. Um, but yeah, he, his capacity to be a game changer is um, a huge hallmark of his game. And enormous credit to spotting that exact precision cross. And Trossard's finish was also delightful. Uh, and again, one of those where as a, as a kind of... A novice observer, you look at it and think, "Oh, that must be, that must be easy to miss," sort of thing, uh, and very hard to be as as accurate and balanced at speed as he was. As a, he, yeah, he's got some phenomenal finishing in his armory. Um, you see the range of it when you look at some of the goals he scored for Belgium and recently as well. Um, yeah, an incredible. I'm sure he's irritated that he's not more of a regular starter but he's a hell of a weapon to have on your bench and in fact it was really pleasing generally to see you know once the changes were made that you know to have four players of the caliber that came on 
And I was particularly pleased for Smith Rowe, who also made a difference, you know, does things with that kind of great forward thinking, quickness, Havertz won everything in the air. Including the header that led up to the equaliser. And was a nuisance. Yeah. I mean, my only disappointment was that I was just, you know, quite secretly hoping that that uh, uh, Kai Havertz would get um, like a, a late winner so that we could have Kai New... You know, <laughs> Kai New, believe it! Sort right. of, you know, echoing headlines that didn't quite happen, but, you know. I have to say, our, our, our producer in the past, Tayo, said exactly the same thing. He wanted that as well. But... But no, they all came on and made, it, made, it a, made difference a difference and made us much more dangerous. And, you know, I think when you look at Arsenal squads of not that long ago, the idea that you've got four quality attacking players to come on and change a game, that's that's new and that's really enjoyable for this season. Yeah. Yeah, they did great. Smith Rowe won the ball five times in his short time on. So he, he made, made a real difference, maybe uh, uh, helping us create turnovers. Kai, Kai allowed us to go longer, didn't he? he uh, which made a difference for that goal. I thought, obviously, Trossard, was that goal was amazing. It was absolutely brilliant. Uh, I also thought Tommy Asu was outstanding. Yeah. In the yeah. Second Is he pushing half. for a start now? I think, think so. Yeah, yeah. I do. I, I think he didn't put a foot wrong. He, I think he, he made one loose pass out of 21. That was we it. We forget... We forget, didn't we? I mean, when he when he first came into the team, we thought he is he's our right back for years to come. Obviously, <laughs> things turn round, and I know it's very very. Well, odd. Sterling did nothing second half, did he? You know, it's, no, he, he, and he looked like a handful the first half. Yeah. But Zinni's not great when people are running at him, right? No, no, I think that that Tommy Asu as well played in central midfield a lot when we had the ball, so he he was helping us make those overloads. Okay, he didn't he doesn't play those eye catching passes that Zinchenko does. But it keeps things simple. And yeah, I I just thought he was a very calming presence in the game. And that's kind of what we needed. We needed a a little bit more sort of calm steel and and he provided it. So, yeah, on that goal, by the way, Ben White, the aforementioned grey Ben White, did brilliantly. And it will get overlooked. So they, Kai Havertz wins the header. They half clear it. Rice, surprise, surprise, intercepts it. And Rice fizzes the ball into Ben White. And Ben White plays a brilliant pass around the corner. One touch into Kai Havertz. And from there, Chelsea are... That is, that was the pass. They're in trouble. That was the pass, It it was the line breaker. But that's only part one. So Havertz feeds it to Saka, who's who's got two defenders around him. Ben White tears around the outside. And Cucurella, for the first time in the game... Ignored Saka. He was worried about Ben White. So he goes to um, Madueke, it was. He says, you take Saka. And that was the difference. That was the moment. Saka thought, I'm away. It's not him. I can, I can shift it onto my left foot. Madueke, you know, he's a, he's a forward player, really. And, and that just brought him that yard of space and time to look up and see where Trossard was. Cucurella would have been trying to knock him over as he made that cross. So Ben White... Take a bow for that goal because he played two really, really important involvements in it. Well said, Adrian. (laughs) Mikel Arteta, speaking a few weeks ago, said when you cannot win, you don't lose. I mean, in the end, we got a draw away at ostensibly rivals. I mean, obviously they haven't started well, although I think they've they've, uh, probably looked better than their points tally suggests. 
in the end, I mean, Amy, we played shit for about 60 <laughs> minutes and we got a two-all draw away at Chelsea. I mean, yeah, that wouldn't exactly. have happened three or four years ago, would it? Exactly. Yeah. And I think if you're if you're talking about being a little bit a downcast to not win away at Chelsea, that's also another mm. sign of changing sentiments. Get some mm. perspective. And uh, because, yeah. Go on. No, just very quickly on the four goals that we conceded away from home recently at Lance and Chelsea. I don't think we played well in either game, really, especially no. we had bad patches in both games. But the Lons scored two worldies and Chelsea scored two exceptionally lucky goals. It, 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 we're not getting peppered by clear-cut opportunities, in no. my opinion. You know, Even when we're not playing well, we're not getting ripped apart. And that, that I think, is, is quite reassuring. Yeah, quite. Just briefly, Bukayo Saka posted on socials, an honour to wear the armband for the first time, my club. Just lovely to see that, really. I liked it, along with about 100,000 other people. Um, after yesterday's result, we have the same number of points as last season for the equivalent fixtures and still unbeaten and joint top of the league as we record. Briefly, in the Women's Super League, Bristol City won Arsenal two. Katie McCabe scored both goals. Adrian, I mean, they, they won that game against Villa Mm. Luckily, because they had a lot of the ball, but, you know, two goals in injury time. That's really kick-started the season, hasn't it? And it was great to see Viv Miedemar get back on the pitch after almost a year out. Yeah, yeah, and she came on and she almost, well, she put Beth Mead away right at the end and, and Beth Mead sort of rounded the keeper and then it ended up, I think, with Caitlin Ford who, who couldn't quite score. So she almost made an immediate impact, got a great reception from the travelling Arsenal supporters, of which there are many now, by the way, on these away games. Really, really noticeable. Um, yeah, it was, Arsenal were always going to win the game, I think. It wasn't, it wasn't. they weren't at their best. Two great goals from McCabe. One left foot rocket and one right foot rocket inside the box. So so she's she's on fire at the moment. But yeah, the, the, the concern, I think, is probably at, at centre-back. I, I can't get Leah Williamson back fast enough, Arsenal's women's team. And and I don't think Jonas Cedarvel really knows who who to pick either. He keeps going with different combinations almost every game at centre half, and almost every game at centre half you can probably pick out a mistake from one of them as well. So yeah, I'd say that that none of Illustet, Kadina, Woodburn, Moy, Jimbiti have really sort of nailed their colours to the mast. They're not, not really nailed down a, a place. So yeah, we need Leah back quickly I think I just by the way I've realised I'm invested uh, in the women's team as well I don't watch all the games but I, I heard the result and I had a little punch you know a little yes <laughs> yes they're back and they're doing well because I watched the Villa game last week so uh, good result before we go a giant of the game died at the weekend Bobby Charlton I mean just such a wonderful footballer Amy I mean did you ever see him play uh, I'm not that old uh <laughs> Stony, no, you'll have to tell us about it. <laughs> My father took me, I remember. Um, yeah, no, I, I did see him uh, play the once and just, I mean, when you watch, it's obviously he's got, he can shoot brilliantly with both feet, but also um, it was just the way he moved around a football pitch. He, uh, he said... Amy, that he found football pretty easy and he was slightly shocked that other people didn't. But just a word for one of uh, uh, England's great players. And also a, a real gentleman. I mean, didn't see him play, but occasionally would see him at events or things like that. And the way that he carried himself with a great humility that I think 
is sometimes the very, very best do have that humility with them. Yeah. And yeah, that that just kind of almost adds to the aura somehow. Adrian, mm. I mean, um, all of us have grown up, you know, uh, some mm. later than others, as Amy said. <laughs> <laughs> but everyone knows Bobby Charlton. I mean, yeah. uh, and I've read various pieces. You get in a cab in the middle of nowhere <laughs> yeah. and, and Bobby Charlton is the universal language, really. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, he was a great ambassador for football, wasn't he? And, and, and for Manchester United, he didn't ever really put a step out of place from what I can remember you know whenever he sp- spoke he spoke yeah with, with, with dignity he wasn't you know overly uh, banging the drum for Manchester United he wasn't you know he just wasn't that sort of character was he he was just no. just just a good football person and yeah I mean yeah it, it's it's a real it's real sad sadness that there's now just Sir Jeff Hurst left from from the, the sixty six World Cup winning team, yeah, my my dad about about fifteen to eighteen years ago, he's got the World Cup final of nineteen sixty six program. It's in great condition, and he'd it, it had it signed by Bobby Moore in the eighties, and he set about going for all eleven players when they were all sort of around in their sixties. And at the time, they were going to a lot of memorabilia fairs, and um, yeah, he just had one one to go and. It was Sir Bobby Charlton and he wrote to Manchester United and yeah, Sir Bobby said, yeah, of course, not a problem, through his secretary. So he dropped dropped it off at Old Trafford and yeah, came back a, a day or two later and um, and there it was. So yeah, he's got all 11. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, which is a yeah, real nice piece, of, nice piece of memorabilia. Yeah, I mean, it's just not many uh, players who are universally loved. I think that's the truth of it. It's that club rivalry gets in the way because we are talking about a Manchester United player but mm. you know we all know what he did for the game let's have a song to finish uh, Amy what have you got for us well it's funny really because I chose this song and I was thinking about um, Declan Rice and, and the scale of his performances since he's come uh, and it's a song called Giant but now that you mentioned uh, Sir Bobby Charlton it feels yeah. kind of like it's got a double meaning but it's one of my all time favourite bands the The and a, a, an album that changed my life and many who were into it at the same time called Soul Mining, which was uh, uh, celebrated its 40-year anniversary, I think, on the over the weekend. It might have been on the day of the Chelsea game or the next day. And, uh, yeah, the last song of the album was called Giant, so I like that. I'm thinking of things I don't want to forget I'm choking to death in a sun that never sets I caught up my mind Yep, no, very apt that. Um, yeah, my, my thought process here was Chelsea tried to break us, and they almost did, but they couldn't in the end. Um, so David Getter, Titanium for me, not break us. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, um, I've gone for a song called Love Plus One by Haircut 100. <laughs> for, uh, for Ben White. <laughs> Obviously. Um, 
That's it for Handbrake Off. It is a lovely song. It is a sweet little happy song. I nearly went for Sister Nancy and Bam Bam, which is just such a classic song. And you think, how can you ever get that into... Bam 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 Great tune. Exactly. So we could maybe have that as well, because I was just thinking Bam Bam with the two late goals. Love that. That's it for Handbrake. Thank you to Adrian Clark. Thanks to Amy Lawrence. And thanks to Jay, our producer. Uh, Sevilla away tomorrow. We'll catch up with you later in the week. See you soon. Tomorrow.